Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. Hi there, you sweet, sweet listeners. Welcome to Max Mike Movies, the show dedicated to your pleasure. That's right, and this week, mm, we're talking about some dirty, naughty pleasures. You might even call them guilty pleasures. Yes, welcome to another in our series, Guilty Pleasures, where we take turns choosing a movie that we like, even though we know we really, really shouldn't. I'm one of your guilty pleasures, Max Levine, but before we continue... I believe my co-host, young Michael, has something he would like to say. No, I don't. Michael, it's about last week's broadcast. I don't know what you're talking about. Mike? What? Mickle? Okay. Michelangelo? (laughs) I am not a Ninja Turtle. (laughs) Okay, okay, I'm sorry. What's that? I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. I still can't understand you, Mike. I said I'm sorry, okay? Try to sound like you mean it. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, and what exactly are you sorry for? Okay, I can't count, okay? Is that what you wanted to hear? I don't know how to count, okay? We were one episode short of this series, and it's my fault. Mine, mine, mine. Are you happy? I hope you've learned a valuable lesson from this, Mike. I am so seeing you after school. <laughs> I'll get you at recess. And <laughs> <laughs> if I yes. get you first. Okay, okay, yeah. So yeah. Um, last week when I did that little farewell about, hey, and this is the last episode of our series on Guilty Pleasures. Um, no. So we have one more. <laughs> yep, I, I believed episode. it too, but there we had actually only done seven. This is number eight. Yes, and eight. So we will accept this, move on, and let the healing begin. Always remembering that it was Mike's fault. Hey! <laughs> this week's movie... You are so t- dead. This is one of my guilty pleasures. It's the 2004 comedy Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, starring uh, Will Ferrell and Christina Applegate, and directed by Oscar winner, yes, Oscar winner, Adam McKay. Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. 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 Yeah, he won the... Uh, be- uh, Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay with The Big Short uh, a couple of years ago. The Show. It's the story of a San Diego local news team in the 1970s, entirely male-dominated, that has to deal with the introduction of the first female television journalist. (gasps) Yep. Gasp, my pearls! (laughs) This is a dumb, dopey, juvenile comedy, and it cracks me up every time I see it. Yep. You'll notice the silence on my part. <laughs> uh, so is that is that the plot? <laughs> that that is the plot essentially. Ah, okay. Well, to be fair, that is in fact the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I bet there's trivia because oh, there's quite a lot actually. Mm. I'll, I'll get through some of it. A lot of the actors and actresses in this movie were really good at improv. And they would sometimes do up to 20 different versions of reaction lines, trying out the first thing that popped into their heads. There are also a lot of very odd background jokes. For example, uh, the Mexican restaurant that Veronica visits with the girls from the station is named Escupimos en su Alimento. In Spanish, that means, we spit on your food. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's the name of the restaurant. Mmm, that's good jam. <laughs> uh, co-director, co-writer and director Adam McKay has said that the first draft of the script, in the first draft of the script, the story was about a plane load of news anchors who crash in the mountains and discovered that the plane with which they collided was carrying monkeys and martial arts equipment, leading to a battle between cannibalistic newsmen and star-throwing monkeys. I would totally watch that movie. I would, too, as long as it wasn't real monkeys. <laughs> um, I would like to know who was piloting that plane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, there is a line in there when uh, there's a confrontation between two of the news teams. They treat the news teams in this movie like they're street gangs. And uh, Champ's line, I will take your mother, Dorothy Mantooth, out for a nice seafood dinner and never call her again. I always wondered about that. That's a strange line. It sounds like a quote. It kind of is. It's a paraphrase from the comic book series, Dan Dare, the pilot of the future. Oh, it's British. Yeah, where Dare's nemesis, the Mekon, makes the identical threat against Dorothy Dare. Ah, okay. <laughs> wow. I do know some Dan Dare. I used to have a couple of graphic novels of Dan Dare. It's very 50s, 60s British sci-fi. A very strange threat for a supervillain to make. Never mind. Like, how, I wonder how that got into this movie. That's, that's bizarre. Okay. Who knows? Uh, the film was apparently inspired by a biography show that Will Ferrell watched about Jessica Savage. And how one of her male co-workers confessed to being a total chauvinist back in the day. Hmm. Uh, Adam, there is a sequence after Ron Burgundy is disgraced for using accidentally using foul language in a uh, broadcast, where he is confronted by a mother and a little girl, when, who you know insult him for what he's done. Whose daughter is it? Because it's obviously somebody. It's the director's daughter, yeah, Lily Rose, and the woman is her mother, Shara Piven. Ah. Uh, in the nightclub, Ron Burgundy plays jazz flute, which, by the way, uh, Will Ferrell actually plays the flute. He's played the flute since he was a kid. He plays jazz flute in the style of Ian Anderson, the lead singer and flautist of Jethro Tull. At the end of the song, Ron blurts out, Hey, Aqualung! Which, of course, is from the 1971 title track of the album of the same name. In addition, the riff he plays on the flute just before he does so is the main riff of the same song, and even the pose he strikes at the end of the song is a clear imitation of the band's logo of a flautist turned sideways with one leg up. Oddly, however, Aqualung does not feature any flute music. Uh, uh. This, is, this is also the first part of Adam McKay and Will Ferrell's Mediocre American Man Trilogy. Oh, dear gods, there's more? In effect, there is. The second was Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Oh, right. And the third was, and I, I, I don't even know if you know this one exists, Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues. Yes, I knew there was there a There was a sequel, one. yep. On all of these, McKay's been the director and Farrell the main actor. Mm. Now, the exact year in which this film is set isn't stated, but the fact that the characters know all the lyrics to the song Afternoon Delight... <laughs> and Champ's offhand Gene Tennant's reference describe his excitement for sports puts the uh, film probably around mid-1977. That was Tarrant Tennant's first season with the San Diego Padres. Mm, that late, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was earlier in the 70s, too. But no, this was in full leisure suit swing. 
Yeah. yeah. The zoo ce- scenes were filmed at the old Los Angeles Zoo, which closed in 1965. The remaining buildings are a tourist attraction in Griffith Park. Hmm. Uh, your old favorite, by the way, that thing you hate so much, the Wilhelm Scream makes an appearance in this movie. Did you notice? I'm doing my damnedest to block that thing out because it's... Yeah. Yeah, very Hey, folks, please, please, please. If you do not know what the Wilhelm scream is, do not look it up. Yeah, you'll never be able to unhear it. No, and for whatever reason, sound people in Hollywood love to use it, and it's really obnoxious because now that I've been made aware of it, I can't unhear it. And some movies, Star Wars is particularly bad with it. Uh, I think some Star Wars films have it up to five times. Oof. So anyway, and the, the damn scream was recorded, I think, in the 40s, and they're still using it. Yeah. So. Yep. Anyway. And finally, Adam McKay, the director, was supposed to have a small cameo as a network producer named Aaron Zimmerman, who was supposed to act like Robert Evans. Robert yeah. Evans. Oh, come on. He will save us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blank. Okay. Right. Quit your belly aching, Buck Rogers. It's just a diver's watch. Oh, Okay. Yeah. The idea was cut midway through the production. It was reprised, though, in a feature introductory commentary to Wake Up Ron Burgundy, the Lost Movie. Robert Evans, by the way, wow, he's an experience. If, you, if you're if you interested, he was a f- legendary Hollywood producer. He produced Love Story. He produced The Godfather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, <laughs> was also, I believe he did more cocaine than the entire country of Bolivia produced in the entire 1970s. That was a nonverbal and, cue. Yeah. He was all, <laughs> if you ever want to see, he, there's a really actually kind of interesting documentary about him by him called The Kid. <laughs> yeah. He did his own documentary well, called The Kid Stays in the Picture. And I'm sure it is exceedingly true to life and sincere oh, yeah. and it, doesn't, yeah. It's actually kind of fascinating. Oh, so, you've seen it? I have. It's actually uh. pretty interesting. Uh, just a couple of the things. The but This movie was a big success. The budget was about $26 million. The U.S. gross alone was $85 million. Yeah, interestingly, uh, the world gross was ninety. Yeah. So apparently, it didn't do too well in the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. But but the to direct- be fair, it's very American. It's it's extremely American. Uh, the director Adam McKay, he used to write for Saturday Night Live. Uh, like I said, he also directed Talladega Nights, uh, Big Short. He also th- uh, just this year was uh, his movie Vice was up for the the Best Picture award. Huh. Mm-hmm. So he can do decent films. Yes, he can. The Big Short is terrific. Vice is terrific. Uh, yes. The, mm. <laughs> but we'll get yeah. to it. Uh, produ- the producer was Judd Apatow. Yes. Who's you know, the producer of the Larry Sanders show. He's a major comedy producer and writer. And he also shows up in the film. He's one of the studio. Uh, he's one of the employees at the news station who has no lines. He's just in the background somewhere. Mm. The one other trivia thing is the narrator of the movie, and the movie has a narrator, and that is the voice of the legendary Bill Curtis, was a longtime TV news anchor in the 70s. He worked with Diane Sawyer, investigative reports. He worked with, of course, Peter Graves on biography. (laughs) I'm Peter Graves. This is a biography. I'm Peter Graves here at the University of Minnesota. And as of last year, he's the announcer and scorekeeper for the NPR podcast, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I, which I love. So which that's is, for, it, it is a cool show. Yeah. So that's pretty much all the trivia. So the lowdown. 
this is my guilty pleasure. I still, I know it's terrible. I know it's stupid, but it cracks me up. There is some, some of the humor is just so out of left field. What do you think of it? Well, I, I just have kind of one, one question to ask you. Yes. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know I'm, I'm probably going to be in the minority on this one because Will Ferrell does ridiculously well. Uh, I'm trying to think: Have I seen any of his other movies? No, none of um, them. No, I this just they. Whenever I see previews or stuff from thing, for them, I just don't laugh. Oh. Um, and as it turns out, that continues all the way through this movie. I didn't laugh once, not, not once. At all. I even with Steve Carell. Steve Carell, who thought, plays Brick Tamblin, I thought he's hilarious. One of my notes is Steve Carell is trying too hard. Huh. I, no. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't think this was funny at all. Um, I, it had, it, you know, when you were saying things like, oh, Adam, what's his name, also directed Saturday Night Live. It's like, hey, I bet he did. Um, <laughs> and he wrote for it, yeah. Yeah, because it feels like that, like, it's a very sketch quality to it. All this, the scenes often feel like individual sketches. Actually, meant because it wasn't funny. <laughs> um, yeah, back when he was writing for it, it actually was. Okay. Yeah, he, uh, wrote, he wrote for it back. Yeah. Anyway, then what happened to him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I've seen this before. I saw it once, and actually, it well, it wasn't really your fault. Uh, I was visiting, and I think you were out. You might have been at work or something. And I was like, "Oh, I've heard this Anchorman is funny. I'll watch it." And I put it on and sat there. And there was one point I chuckled. I don't remember what I chuckled at the last time. Um, this time it was. Uh, we bears are a an honorable race. <laughs> it's like okay, the bears are funny. I like the bears. That that part with bears mm. being, you know, yeah, and having a talk with the dog. Um, that was that, that was that it. Made, huh? That me chuckle. Yeah, honestly, I just didn't. I know, and I like dumb crap. If there's anybody who likes dumb crap, it's me. Yeah, um, it surprises me that you're so you love Hudson Hawk so much, <laughs> and that you that you don't find this at all funny. Well, now, to be fair, Hudson Hawk is brilliant. This is not. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a better movie. Oh, oh, it is not. Oh, it, no, it, it's not. No, no. In terms of the way it is made, one of the problems with Hudson Hawk is the tone shifts constantly. The type of movie it is shifts constantly. This movie is very consistent. It's very tight. The scenes don't go on too long. And it holds together very well. As a movie, I say this is a superior movie. The world would agree with you, but I would not. <laughs> and I'd say, here's the thing. Hudson Hawk, it, it shouldn't win prizes for anything at all. Mm. And we talked about that. Yep, yep. I like it. I know it's garbage. It is garbage. I think it's I'm fun, pretty... too. I just think it's not. It's In addition to its other problems, it's not well made. I don't even think. It, well, I, the one thing I will say is that the production values, I have to say, were higher on Hudson Hawk, which is true, partially because it lost a lot more money than this film would have yeah. if it bombed. I think the budget was twice this film's budget. Probably. Um, and I was actually trying to figure out where they spent $26 because it felt it, like it was made in the same block, except for the zoo. Well, it's a like, lot of it, you see all the cameos, all the people they brought in? I get. Well, and yeah, and I have problems with some of those, too. Um,. Who's the guy? I, I cannot remember his name. He's the uh, Mexican-American who's actually been to jail. And that really is, is the, one of the most awesome people in American cinema. You are talking about the great Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. Okay. Danny Trejo's awesome. He is um, awesome. Why he hasn't got his own like series of movies by now, I don't know. Well, well um, they tried. The problem is, well, Danny Trejo is awesome. 
He is perhaps not a master thespian. <laughs> okay. He's really good at being menacing and impressive. He's not a great actor. Ah, uh, you know, that's fine, too. Because I, I, he's one of those guys, I'll watch him in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Trejo is always cool. And also, it's like, when he's scary, because I think he, wasn't he in, um, El, was, I don't know if he was in El Mariachi, what was the remake name? Oh, yeah, no, he was in, uh, he was in was, uh, Desperado. Desperado, that's what yes, I think. Yes, that was. was like his first movie, and he's freaking he's terrifying. Ter- he is, he is, because it's and like, he, I think he can do that. Oh, and he, and he has, I don't think he has any lines. No. He just walks around silently and you pee yourself. Yeah, pretty much, which is, yeah. Um, so bringing him in, you know, I don't know how much he, he commands as his price. That's fine. But, you know, you say that the tone is kept the same. Well, yes, it's kept the same in that it's the 70s and it's very misogynistic. Okay, that's fine. Um, it's also, you know, the, the few people that are not white in here are generally very marginalized. Like, well, we'll have some black people, but they'll be in a jazz band. It's like, okay. And we will have some Hispanic people, but they'll be in a Mexican restaurant. Okay. Um, oh, yes, but the, the way, one that... who has big lines, that's Ben Stiller. Because <laughs> we're not going to have anybody who's actually Hispanic. Oh, come on. You didn't laugh at all at that sequence. No. They're basically doing West Side Story, but with news gangs. No, I honestly didn't. And, you know, this may be a case of a show where it's like, what is wrong with Mike? I don't know. I should like We this could do film. an entire series <laughs> on what is wrong with Mike. Tune in next tune in next week for our 35-part series, What is Wrong with Mike? Max hates you, all of you. <laughs> um, Mike has voodoo dolls of all of you, and he sticks pins in them every day. Both of you. Uh, no, 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 no. I see. I, I like our listeners. I really do. And I like to interact with them. Um, speaking. Well, well, we'll bring that up at the end of the show. But um, I, you know, big and stupid is fine. I, I do find you know, Ace Ventura. When Ace Ventura came out, I remember it was a particularly cold, dreary winter. Um, this this involves our friend Libby again. Hi, Libby. Um, which is nice because I don't think she listens to the podcast. I don't um, think so. But we would we just wanted to see something. And we were, it was just, I don't remember what it was about that year, but it was just really dreary. And this movie came out, it was Jim Carrey, who had been very funny, and the critics blackballed this film. They all, pretty much to a man and woman, hated it. Mm, and I remember, yeah. I, 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 where she got me to go see Hudson Hawk, I was like, oh, I kind of want to see this Ace Ventura thing. And so I told her, hey, let's go see this. She didn't look too closely, like at the reviews or anything. <laughs> and so we went to the theater, and we're sitting there. And I said, I had to confess before the movie started, I said, you know, just so you know, this um, this movie was was got a zero. It, it's been blackballed. And she said, what? You made me go to a movie that has... What? Really? I was like, yeah, but but maybe it'll be kind of fun. And I don't know if you remember, but seeing it, I don't know if you saw it in the theater, but... I did. It was perfect. Yeah. We were, that's exactly what we wanted. We didn't want to think. We didn't want anything that was going to challenge any kind of belief system. We just wanted to laugh. And... Dang, did I laugh through Ace Ventura. And it's dumb. It is not a clever film. But it is well made, and it is funny. This film... Yeah, but you also have to you have to admit the reason it's funny. That movie would not have worked with any other actor. No. Jim Carrey picks up the entire movie, balances it on his shoulders, and carries it for an hour and a half. 
I actually feel bad for all of the other actors in that film because it's like, how did they keep a straight face? Yeah, what seriously, it was, it it's was like Tony Loke and Sean Young. Yep, I think were the two people in that, and it's like I. I know. I don't think I could be in the same room with him at that point in his career you, and not just start laughing. You would just have to hope it was something like, uh, you know, the Marx Brothers movies. I don't know yes. if you how many if you've ever seen any of them. Uh, not all the way through, just parts. Mm. There is a woman named Margaret Dumont who always oh, plays yes. the high society. Yes, yeah. Ooh, Captain Spaulding. Right. She was this, and she did all the scenes with Groucho Marx when he was at his funniest. And it's always really impressive to me, or it was, in the movies, that she never cracked a smile. She was absolutely stone-faced. And I didn't find out until years later in Groucho Marx's biography, it was because she didn't think he was funny. <laughs> she didn't understand why everyone thought he was so funny. He, She thought, I just didn't get it. I thought it was just silly. Never made me laugh. And that made her perfect. And all I can figure is Sean Young just didn't think Jim Carrey was funny. I guess so, because I don't know how else. I mean, that, <laughs> the part where he comes in and he's leaning over and speaking by flapping a hole in his pants <laughs> kills me. It is so dumb. It doesn't get much dumber than that. And there's even a joke about his bad breath, you know, because he's talking about And I just, I died. I died. And it's just like, there. it, I, yeah. And I, this film felt to me like I should like this. I should mm. think this is funny. And I just didn't. The thing that did make me laugh was that we get to the end and during the credits, they're showing us outtakes. Those I thought were funny. You notice that one of the outtakes is from another movie? Yes. Uh, <laughs> for from, some from reason. Smokey and the Bandit. Yep. For some reason, they're showing outtakes from this and they stick in an outtake from Smokey and the Bandit. Well, I think the reason that they threw it in there is because Smokey and the Bandit did that. They had yeah, outtakes they during were, its cred credits. Them, they might have been one of the first American movies to do that. Smokey Band Smokey and the Bandit have a baby. Uh, <laughs> man, I wish that was not true, but it is. You're um, wait, wait, what? Yeah, there was a sequel to Smokey and the Bandit called Smokey and the Bandit Has a Baby. Oh my I know have there was, a baby. I know there was Smokey and the Bandit three was uh Smokey Maybe. is the Bandit. There was Smokey and the Bandit have a baby? Oh Lord. I you know What I, have fair, we done? Or did. <sighs> anyway, I, I yeah. assume it is true. I uh uh, I could be actually totally wrong, but I remember there being a b movie called Smokey and the Bandit Have a Baby. But <laughs> hey, you know, maybe it's like uh, th that movie in the Golden Turkey Awards. It didn't never actually They, they just happened. made it up. Yeah. Yeah. So which would yeah. be just fine. Yeah. Well, OK, I can understand some of this stuff. Look, Will Ferrell is not for everyone. In a lot of ways, Will Ferrell rubs me the wrong way. There's always something slightly desperate about him and... Or not desperate. There's something about the, his humor and the characters he does where you just feel afterwards you want to wash your hands. I, he, For me, it's just more like this is a guy who thinks he's really funny and he's not. I don't know. But I never got that feeling. I never got the feeling he thinks he's funny. The thing I always admire about Will Ferrell, and it's the same thing I thought about Chris Farley and the same thing about a lot of really of some of the really great comics – is that whatever he's given to do, Leslie Jones on Saturday Night Live is like this, whatever he's given, he throws himself into it 100%. Yes. He doesn't care if it makes him look silly. He yep. doesn't care if it doesn't work. But he, by God, gives it 100% effort. It's amazing to watch. 
I agree. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you saw this too, but one of my favorite times with him is his appearance on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Oh, yeah, he was and great. One of the things I liked most about that, that appearance is that he not only talks about his audition for Saturday Night Live, but they show it. Mm-hmm. And if they hadn't shown it, I'd have been really angry because it's like, I want to see this. And apparently his bit is entirely just him going on stage, opening up a bag of cat toys and playing with them. Like a And cat. that's it. And it's they, funny. They it's, actually turned that into a sketch on Saturday yeah. Night Live where well, he was why supposed to be it? an executive at a cat toy company and they're bringing out the new prototypes and he's testing them. And I think the best part about it is that he does this thing, and as you said, he throws himself in. He is all in for this audition thing, but nobody's laughing, nobody's clapping, and he still does it. He mm-hmm. continues until the end. And my feeling is, is that there was there was probably just a cameraman or somebody, and they were videotaping it so that they could show it later to all the executives or whatever. But either that, or they have a thing where it's like we don't laugh during these things, so we mm-hmm. don't let people know. Or I don't know what it was. Who but knows? When he was done, he just stands up and says thank you and leaves. And it's just like, wow, that's that's guts, you know. That's- I admire, yeah, I admire stuff like there's a sequence in the movie where he's trying to impress the hot new female anchor, who's played by Christina Applegate, who I want to talk about a little bit. Yeah, uh, and mm. he's trying to impress her by, as he puts it, showing off his guns, his arms. <laughs> now, yeah. so he's doing, uh, he's working with uh, dumbbells with his shirt off. Yes, Will yes. Farrell with his shirt off is not an impressive sight. No. It, it's not that he's, well, I, I mean, I think he looks kind of, you know, like, like a large pale ham. But <laughs> it, it's not that he's just, just something slightly greasy about him. It's not that he's un, that unattractive. It's just he has no muscle definition. No. He's a little bit overweight. It doesn't. He doesn't look great without his shirt. And he knows this. You can actually tell. I can tell by his body language. He knows this. And he did it anyway. He said, I'm going to get half naked. And he used to do this on Saturday Night Live. He'd strip down to his underwear. And he is not that well built. And he knows it. <laughs> and he didn't care because it was it was part of the bit. And he was, by God, going to do it. And he was going to get it all out there. Yeah, I, I think that's impressive. It's what they call the dad bod. That has become yeah. a thing. Yeah, he has, um, he has kind of a dad bod. I mean, it's like Chris Farley did the same thing. I will never forget that that uh, what is oh, the Chippendales thing. Yes, with, where he, uh, with Patrick Swayze. <laughs> that if I remember correctly, he gets the job and Patrick Swayze no, doesn't. Patrick Swayze gets the job, and oh. they say specifically it's because he's got so much so, such a better body. Oh, and Swayze is saying, but he's so, he's so much better than I am. <laughs> And Farley also threw himself oh into that. Oh my God! And he's he's this Chris Farley was. I mean, those of you who don't know, and I, I hope you do, because he was worth watching, even when he had did not have very great material, and most yeah. of his movies were not very good. No, but he wasn't just you know, dad. But he was fat. He was very out of shape, but he was also incredibly agile, and he mm. actually could dance and move beautifully. Yeah, and watching him wearing nothing but skin tight pants, very low riding skin tight pants. Uh, excuse me, he had a bow tie and a bow tie. <laughs> oh yeah, and, sh- and shoes. Next to Patrick Swayze, who looks like a Roman god just stepped off a pedestal. It, w- I, I admi- that courage that would take was amazing. Yeah, and uh, this I don't think with Farrell, it's not at that level, but it's no, it's similar. Well, 
I think it's a different level because mm-hmm. they have different, you know, for all we know, Will Ferrell's an introvert and every time he does anything, it's really hard. I don't know. So it's, I think in that particular case, I can't judge, but the dedication I think is, is pretty equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree. He, he throws himself in the fact that he allows himself amazingly successfully to basically be the straight man for all those jeopardy skits. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, you think, oh, yeah, I love seeing Will Ferrell as Alex Trebek. No, you don't. You love seeing the other people abusing Alex Trebek. Um, he's doing his best to just be Alex Trebek. Yep. And he's he not like, the funny one. No. No. I, once in a while, he might say something, you know, vaguely funny. Yeah. But his whole point is to be the foil. Yeah. And it's great. Um, you know, and there's some other performers. I didn't look up the names of the actors in here. I, mm-hmm. I literally just watched the movie before the show. Um, the guy who played Champ. Uh, David Kushner, actually, yeah. I thought he did a really good job. He's um, very actually, good. I, of the team, I actually liked his character. Is that the right term? I don't know. Really? They're, they're all so horrible. Champ? Well, the thing is, is that he, he for as, as high energy as he was, he didn't feel forced to me, and I don't know why. Or did you just um, like the fact that he's very clearly in love with Ron? Well, but I thought that even that didn't feel that forced, and I and it mm-hmm. was, but it, I don't know, it didn't. It, it felt more polished to me for some reason. I like Steve, the fact that none of them seem to have any problem with when he says things like, yeah, you have the hair of an angel, Ron, or, and when this is over, I think we should get an apartment together. I think they mostly like, just huh. are like, they don't know what to do with it. No. <laughs> um, but uh, the guy who played, uh, who's the other one with the mustache? Uh, uh, Brian Fantana. That was, that was Paul Rudd, a.k.a. Ant-Man. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, wow. which was an interesting In a role that will surprise. It you. really is because Paul Rudd almost always just plays these sweet, nice kind of nebbishy guys, and here he is supposed to be. He, now, admittedly, I I will say he's one of the most unconvincing. I just can't see Paul as a lady killer. I well, yeah, he's, he's a very nice looking guy, but he, I don't think he quite pulled off that seventies sleaze bag, uh, you know, cologne wearing. And I am sorry, the sequence with the cologne. I thought was hilarious. That still that cracks me up every time when he's going to. He, everyone is making a play for Christina Applegate's character, and his is he's got to choose the right cologne, and he has this like mini bar full of different colognes. And uh, he, when Ron said, "What are you going to tell English gentlemen?" or he's, he's like, "No, no, for a special lady like that, you got to use this, and it's called Sex Panther." Yeah, and as he says. Oh my god, it's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. It's made with bits of real panther, so you know it's good. And that wonder and the line that I love, sixty percent of the time, it works every time. Seventy two percent. Oh no, she's seventy two percent loves him. That's yeah, right. she's seventy two percent in love with him, which is another which is again one of her best lines. I, I love that. That's like one of the last lines of the movie. It's like, oh, Ron, there are literally thousands of other men I should be with, but I am 72% sure I'm in love with you. <laughs> oh, that kills me. Christina Applegate, I think, is very uh, underrated in this movie. Most of the time, she's there to be sort of the object. She's the one, the focus. Yeah. But when she, but when she gets to cut loose a little, she's really funny. Yeah. Uh, th- that was one of the problems I had with this film is that, A, pretty much all the characters, except for Steve Carell, who's just an idiot, um, are loathsome people. Oh, yeah. They're like, terrible, sexist, 
uh, racist, homophobic, everything. They are everything bad about 70s toxic male culture. But they're supposed to be. Yeah. (laughs) We're not supposed to admire that about them. They're treated, they're presented to us like horrible sexist children. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes. And that was one of the problems is like, I don't like any of these people. It's like I know this is this this worked so well for Friends, a show that I basically never watched, but I never watched it because I didn't like any of the people. I felt that so, way about Seinfeld. Again, yeah, brilliantly did say, written. Did I say Seinfeld? You said Friends. Oh, I meant Seinfeld. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's no, I, Seinfeld. oh okay, yeah. Friends. Seinfeld I never I seen feel Friends. Like, I feel exactly the same way. I Seinfeld is hilarious. The writing is oh. brilliant. The performances are so good. But the characters the problem is they were too good. They yeah. made them so awful. I hated watching them. Yeah. Um, I just... Uh, it, it just was... I, I didn't want him to win. I didn't want that man-child thing to be in any way validated. Mm. And it felt like that's where the movie was going to go. That somehow she'd see the heart of gold, and she kind of does. At least 72% of her <laughs> does. Um, and he wouldn't change much. Just enough to basically get him into the 80s is about as far as he would go and meanwhile the other guys you know they did that little and where are they now thing and they basically didn't get any better either um love the idea that brick tamblin is was an advisor (laughs) for the bush white house (laughs) yeah but they were they were not nice to the 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 80s government because there's a lot of little comments 70s government here Mm -hmm. and there um i will say this though the thing that that might be a little odd for younger viewers is that Growing up in, in, in the 70s and 80s, you certainly did know who your local anchors were. Yes, you did. Uh, and I, I still remember some of the people at our local news. Uh, Liz Walker, who I think only recently retired. Mm-hmm. And she was a replacement. Poor Shelby Scott. She was oh. local on, I think, WBZ. Shelby Scott was originally in the studio, and she, I think, was one of the co-anchors. And when it got to be that time where it's like, well, you know, we don't we need somebody younger... She wanted to stay on, and so she became the on-the-spot reporter. And whenever there was an, a, an accident or bad weather, uh, a hurricane, stick her outside. Yep. Poor Shelby was out yep. there in her slicker, looking happy yes. as a clam. But there she was. Yep. <laughs> this is Shelby Scott. The winds are reaching up to seventy miles an hour. Um, I know there was a team oh, called yep. Ellison Pepper. I and, can't remember their. Oh, and, and of course the royalty, Chet Curtis and Chet Natalie Curtis, Jacobson. Natalie, yeah, and oh. they were on and. Net and Chalet, Net and Chat, Chet and Alan, Natalie. <laughs> but you did. It was important. Like boat, toy boat. You not not New York unique, unique you know. Yes, yeah, I can do. It. Um, they were. You knew who they were. Yeah, now believing they everything did. they said, kinda. Yeah, you did. And remember, I remember when that 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 I, I can't even. Use, there's no language I can safely use in the podcast. John Silber, the former president of BU. It's a loathsome human being, and he was running for governor. And he actually had a good shot. And then he did an interview with Natalie Jacobson, and he was rude to her, Uh and his poll numbers collapsed. (laughs) I kid you not, literally the next couple of days, he he, he lost in a landslide. And it was, people agree, they they don't like to say it, but yeah, it was because people didn't like him being rude to our Natalie. No, we liked her. I liked Liz Walker, too, except the thing that I loved about Liz Walker is it's like, I think she's actually sitting on the ground. I think that that woman's actually about eight feet tall. Liz Walker was, um, a, was a towering woman. 
Yeah. But she was nice. Yes. And it was back when they were like, it felt more like they were actually people yeah. as opposed to the same person. Yes, they had actual personality and they had character. And some of them, you got the feeling they weren't just parrots. Some of them right. actually did the research themselves. Or well, they, they, would also, go, they would also go out and do things. Right. They would go do interviews. They would go try out things. They would say, here, I'm reporting from this new fad called bungee jumping, and uh, they're yeah. about to throw me off a bridge, and I, I will get you for this, Chet. <laughs> but they would also just do appearances. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, come down and meet us here at this time. Like, they were, like you could meet this person. This yeah. is a real person. And you they were local. Them. They were celebrities. I mean, there were no Bob Gamero or Rex Trailer, but there you go. Who is? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's were, a they really were no, local joke. Yeah, or Dana Hershey or Frank Average. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved Dana Hershey. Oh, oh he was so awesome. Yep. Uh, he was he was a local uh, UHF. Oh God, UHF. I'm not going to explain <laughs> that. Uh, he was a local yeah. host for the the rerun movie um, show on <laughs> the TV movie Loft. WSBK TV Boston. Um, <laughs> and the best part is that you could guess. Um, and the set was so weird because it was this two level thing mm. and he, it was called the movie loft and he would start off in the top part of the set and then have to take the spiral staircase down and watching the show. It was always like, Hmm, I wonder how many takes they needed to make sure he got down there. Okay. Um, and I heard later too, that the door that he would come in, the only thing on the other side of that door was a ladder. Yeah. Yeah. And he said it was like 50, 50 of whether he was going to make it through the door or not. <laughs> But anyway, but yeah, so so yes, that part that, of the film felt true. very that, real. Mm-hmm. People um, treated them like uh, they were very special. They were, I mean, but, hell, but, Walter Cronkite, and he was now admittedly he was national, but he was right. considered the most trusted man in America. Yes, he was, and he you believed Uncle Walter, and to this day, I don't think he ever screwed anything over on the nope. news. Like I don't I think so. Of course, that was wow. Trusting journalism. How long has it been? Yeah, hmm. well. Yeah. A um, yeah. couple of things I made note of here uh, when, um, I'm sorry, what's the name? The mustache guy again, Paul, uh, Paul, Judd, what, Paul Rudd. What's, what was his character's name? Oh, Brian Fantana. Brian Fantana. When he, <laughs> I will say one of the things that got me to smirk was when he's saying, yes, and I do have a nickname for my penis, and he <laughs> gave it, and then he says... And my testicles as well. And one of them was Dr. Kenneth Noisewater. Yep. I was like, uh, <laughs> You play okay. your cards right, lady, you can meet the whole team. Yeah. And, oh God, such horrible people. Uh, and, I, and poor Brick Tamblin. Like, I'm Brick Tamblin. You know, most people like me because I'm polite and I'm rarely late. Some years yeah. later, a doctor will test me and tell me that I have an IQ of 48. And that <laughs> I am what some people call mentally retarded. Yeah, and you know Steve Carell's is is otherwise often brilliant, um, yeah. and I just felt he was trying too hard. It's like his energy level was I don't know too high or something. I but like I the didn't... way I I still like again this as I have said I think I told you when I chose this movie this is one of the this is a very quotable movie there are a lot of good one liners in there, and I still like where Veronica Corningstone is hired as a the first female news anchor that's uh, Christina Applegate's character. And they're all in the office yelling at the news producer about it. You know, it's anchor man, not anchor lady. And Brick's line is, I don't know what we're yelling about. <laughs> or then, loud noises. Yeah. For me, it's more fun to talk about it than it was to watch it. Maybe if I had, there had been drinking and I was in a, with like uh, the only two times I've seen this film, I've seen it alone. Oh, that's um, not good. You got to see it. You can't see it alone and you probably shouldn't see it sober. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> just, this was, 
I mean, even early. the line, I always think of you when in the opening when they're showing the clips of Ron right before broadcast and he's drinking a glass of scotch on you know, right before he's about to go out there. I love scotch, 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 scotch. Here it goes now, down into my belly. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when I do the news, I do it sober. Um, yeah. Yes, but he's so, drunk off his butt right now. I am not. I've had. I have a glass of water. See, I'm holding it up. Oh, I, right, radio. The weird way Ron tries to impress Veronica, like, I oh, I have many leather bound books. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. I'd rather hear you do it. I don't know why. I just I, I would. Um, there was a couple of things, though, that it's like, I like the fact that she brought in the fact that she she's working on her non-regional addiction, which is a, yeah. a real thing, because they want yep. news anchors to sound like they could come from anywhere, which yeah. is scary and bad. But, I mean, why not talk like... Like, whenever I go home and I'm, I happen to watch a newscast, which is rare, and they interview the chief of police of Boston, I start laughing because the people in Boston do not realize how thick their accent no, is. They have no idea. They go, what? I ain't got no accent. What are, you talking, Max about, I, what are you talking about? And neither Max or I can actually do it. It's That's the sad part. We're both yeah. born and raised there, and neither of us can actually do it. Mm. But when I hear them, it's just it's just hilarious. And, of course, then you cut back to whomever, and they don't have any accent because yeah. that's the, the sad thing. When I lived out in Minnesota, the Minnesotans were very always very proud to point out, and this is true, by the way, that it is the Midwestern accent that the, these news anchors try to duplicate because it's the easiest to understand for anyone in the country. Minus the nasal part. Yeah, you take away some the nasal part and and the fact that they don't have the aw diphthong. They don't have yeah. yeah they don't say law. They don't have that sound. It's la la, la. <laughs> as in you know la a, mo, a note to follow so, which is exactly opposite of Boston, which says it's, of yeah law yeah law. I am the law. I am Judge Dredd. I wicked law. Judge what are you? Dredd. What are you? Data's brother? Law? What are you trying to tell me? <laughs> yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and I, part of this, of course, I look back and I can't help to drop some parallels. And I'm not saying that there's any homage or any copying going on, but I, I draw some parallels to one of my favorite, and I mentioned this before, favorite sitcoms ever, which is the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, yeah. And of course, there's one point when they're talking about the fact that Ron will read anything that's on the teleprompter. <laughs> and I go right back to Ted Baxter, remove glasses, look concerned. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I definitely thought of Ron Burgundy as a sort of, you know, what, what if Ted Baxter was not was not only dumb but slightly insane and horny. Yeah. And it's like, and now the weather, point to Wally. No, no, <laughs> don't say point to Wally. Point to Wally. <laughs> yep. Um Yeah, that is a major plot point in that Ron will read whatever is on the uh on the teleprompter. That's what gets him in trouble with the city. Yeah. His sign off line is always stay classy, San Diego, and Veronica in this war of pranks says basically, uh, go F yourself, San Diego. Yes, right. And, you know, it does actually do it. And, yep, and Fred, it's Fred Willard, right? That is Fred Willard, the great Fred, Fred Willard. Fred Willard, who pretty much always plays a kind of second banana character, but he does it really, really well, and he's always solid. Because he played this sort of character on the, um, was it Fernwood Tonight? And America Tonight, yes. And, and he's America a lot Tonight. like that in a lot of that those indie movies, like uh, Waiting for Guffman, Yep. And uh, uh, best in show, and he, he was even in Spinal Tap in one sh one scene. Yeah, and he's really good. He, he is. He, I had no problem with him at all. Um, 
But going back to the characters and one of the problems I have, so Christina Applegate shows up, and mm-hmm. I'm not the, the perfect judge for this, but um, she seems reasonably attractive. Oh, yes. She seems very smart. Mm-hmm. She seems very confident. She seems very skilled. What the heck does she see in Ron Burgundy? Because I as don't... you also find out, she's a little bit crazy, too. They, that's the sort of the point is all of these news people are kind of insane, and so is she. I just, mm, I didn't buy it. Mm. I mean, quite honestly, there was more chemistry between Ron and Champ. Yeah, no, that is true. <laughs> the fact that she falls for him makes no sense, except it's a it's important narratively, and that's about it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, absolutely, but it just reinforces the white guyness of the movie that the one female character of the film feels exceedingly like she was written by a white guy well, probably she was. Yeah. i know and middle-aged white guy and it's right. like i you know i had a problem with that because even in her moments of triumph they're f- fairly like what a guy thinks a woman would do that's what it felt like it felt like a character written by a man oh just because not- at one point she says you really you're going to deprive the city of this of its news just because i have breasts exquisite yeah. breasts yes lines exactly <laughs> like that one yeah, i would in yeah. fact say pointedly like that one <laughs> well um, again i think that's intentional i think it's very it's making it very clear that this was a that she's part of the male fantasy which in a lot of ways that whole the whole thing is there's a there are a lot of oddly fantastical elements in this movie that just appear out of nowhere the fact that all four of the news team can sing close harmony on afternoon delight which I think is an adorable little scene. Yes. They, and they the more or less it, sing it. <laughs> it. Yeah, that's the thing. You, It really is them singing it, and you can tell because they're not that great. No. They, they get a number of the notes wrong. The harmonies don't blend. But it sounds like normal people singing. And that that weird animated sequence, the first time Ron and Ver- Veronica have, uh, have sex, and it's you know, yes. the journey to Pleasure Town, and they're riding <laughs> unicorns. Yeah. Yeah, that was that's where some of the budget went right there yeah. is the animation. Or... <laughs> um, but I guess the problem is, is that the that while you're lampooning something, mm-hmm. you're also reinforcing it. And because uh, her character, wait a minute. That, that's kind of a broad generalization about what lampooning is. So you well, feel in make... this case, or do, because yeah. in general, that's not what the whole idea of lampooning is. You are no, in no, fact no, no. trying to let the air out of something, right? And that's the thing is that that's what this by by trying to say we're going to be over the top to to show put up a mirror to how horrible this is by having that character written the same way as the other characters. It also helps reinforce it. Well, yeah, but you're also not supposed to want to be any of these characters. You realize that Veronica is flawed because obviously there's something wrong with her if she's into Ron. And you like, don't, nobody, yeah, I'll say, yeah, nobody, I don't think anyone's walking out of that movie going, man, I wish I were like Ron Burgundy slash Brian Fantana slash whatever. I, I well, don't, I don't think it's reinforcing it. I think it's highlighting how insane it was. I mean, it's pointing at an era that even when this movie was made, it was like 30 years prior and it's pointing out just how ridiculous it was. I mean, my God, the fashions, the way they, they, they chose all the worst of the seventies clothes. Yeah, the fashions are a low-hanging fruit. Ron's car is one of the crappiest of the 70s cars. Well, everybody, <laughs> that's not hard to do. Friggin' everybody smokes all the time. There's actually a lot less smoking in this film than there could have been. There was a there fair amount. A lot more. There was a fair but, amount. They also had to watch that because, you know, nowadays, uh, 
it changes the rating if you show smoking. Right, because smoking is bad. Yes, it is. I did, but for me, not only was she a little crazy, but they don't. I don't know. She didn't rise above it, and I could tell that her lines were not her lines. They were not. They were written right. by somebody. It felt like they were written by again. You, you do man. understand all of those people. All of the lines were written for them, right? You you do know that. And I know that. Yeah, works. I know. I know. I know. But it's not usually necessarily. I, like to me, it's the it's saying that the the writer has something of a tin ear when it comes to writing for women, yeah. because all of the 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 humor and stuff that she does comes across as something any of the other white guys would do. Well, and I don't R- mean Bill that Farrell it, was one of the writers. I know, yeah. <laughs> but. A good writer doesn't have that problem. And for me, it her character sounding like a white guy just helped reinforce. It didn't say, look, she's better because it said, look, she sounds like a white guy and says, you know, I don't know. I didn't it didn't work for me. Um, and that that brought me out of the film because I wanted to like her. But as soon as she goes to bed, as soon as she starts showing nervousness, like, oh, I'm actually going to go out on a date. It's not a date with Ron Burgundy. And I'm like, huh? I didn't I, get it. I can sort of see that because when she's introduced, she's actually she has a voiceover where she's saying, you know, let them play grab ass, let them drink. Because while they're doing that, I'm chasing down leads. I'm following up stories. I'm practicing my non my non local diction, right? And that part, it's like okay, cool. That's the character, and then suddenly she's not. Suddenly she's goo goo eyed over Ron Burgundy, and it, it it Ron Burgundy's sort of played like the only person who would like really be goo goo eyed over Ron Burgundy is Ron Burgundy, and well, and Champ. Um, and yeah, so I, I it's the idea again, the power of celebrity. All these people love him because he's Ron Burgundy on the news. They don't really know what he's like. Yeah, I. Mm. I don't know. Didn't work for me. Okay. It didn't work for me. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I, as I say, I am fully aware of this movie's flaws. I still think it's funny. I still think it's incredibly quotable. You will still see the line, boy, that escalated quickly all over the internet. I still yeah. like, I'm in a glass case of emotion. He's screaming when he's in a phone booth. And, and <laughs> you know, it's probably one of those lines, like, I didn't know where the line came from. You know, the people quote, and they don't know where it's mm-hmm. from. Um, like when you try to convince people that wherever you go, there you are, didn't come from Buckaroo Banzai, and I proved that you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even then, people don't know that it's from Buckaroo Banzai. They just, they just, you know. Uh, there were some really interesting cameos. Mm-hmm. What was Tim Robbins doing? <laughs> I don't know. You know, he's not even in the credits, but yet Tim Robbins well, shows up. Ben, uh, Ben Stiller shows up. Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson is in there. And. Did you recognize Veronica's cameraman? Mm. That was Seth Rogen. Oh yeah, yeah, I did, I did. Mm-hmm. I, but I, I always think of him as the as the Green Hornet, which. Oh. <laughs> that was well, a, I'm sure he'd a, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, he liked it. <laughs> um, yeah, when I when I saw Ben Stiller showed up, all I could think of was, oh, you couldn't afford a real Hispanic person or couldn't find one, so you got Robbie Benson. Which, <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. There's a whole chapter in this book called um, Golden Turkey Wars where they talk about when they used to hire white people to play other parts, oh, yeah. which they sadly still do. And Robbie Benson played a Hispanic in some film. And Robbie Benson is, um, he might be whiter than you. I'm not sure. Yeah, Robbie um, Benson has played a Hispanic, a Native American, and an Orthodox Jew. I mean, he's no Marlon Brando in uh, Sea House of the August Moon or, or Mickey, Mickey Rooney, Rooney <laughs> in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, wow. Yikes. Oh. Or Alec, uh, or Alec Guinness uh, in Majority of yeah. One. 
Yeah, wow. Ouch. And people talk about that now. They talk about Hollywood whitewashing, and it's still a problem. But man, yeah. people, if you haven't watched some of these movies, you oh, have no boy. idea. It was not only like they wouldn't hire people of whatever the descent was of the character. They were these horrible one-dimensional stereotypes. I mean, seriously, Breakfast at Tiffany's is a film I cannot watch, and a lot of people think of it as a classic. And one of the problems, major, major problems in it is Mickey Rooney. Yeah, who plays a Japanese neighbor. I mean, with buck teeth oh. and uh, Hirohito glasses. Oh, and it's just every, Everything. He's just a walking cliche. I mean, it's like Vito Scotti playing the Japanese sailor on Gilligan's Island. Oh, Twice. God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or... <laughs> There was a there was a somewhat famous uh, western called Geronimo, which was supposed to be about you know the 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 great uh, Apache warrior Geronimo, and it, he's played by Chuck Connors. <laughs> yeah, so well, you know, in red face, but he still has those bright blue eyes. <laughs> You know, of course, we're leaving out one of the biggies, and that was, of course, John Wayne as Genghis Khan. Oh, God. Say, <laughs> you are beautiful in your wrath. Yep. <laughs> one of the saddest parts, of course, oh. of that film is well, not only was it his idea, mm. but they filmed it oh, on God. what had been a nuclear testing ground, and a lot of the people that were in that film developed in- cancer. Including died. him. Including him. Yeah. 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 So, something like, but, what, 70% of the cast got cancer or something like that? Yeah. So if you want to see, oh. uh, and I've never seen it, to be fair. I've only seen stills from it, but mm. I'm just trying to picture. Yeah. John Wayne. Yes. Yeah, the, the, con- the Conqueror, I think it's called. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. So anyway, mm. uh, we should continue or we should uh, potentially wrap up yeah. now. The one thing I I mentioned that I liked the outtakes. Stay through the credits. The outtakes are really funny. One of the things that really worked for me in the credits is they let me go, oh, it's not the actors. They are actually nice people. It's just the characters. Hmm. That that actually mattered to me because I'm sitting there going, wow, I wonder if Christina Applegate just wanted to punch Will Ferrell in the face for some of the stuff she's having to do. And they show them, they're obviously having a great time. And it's actually usually him that cracks up, not mm-hmm. her. And then once he does, she loses it. She's like, for, you know, I can't yeah. do this either. <laughs> and then Steve Carell, too, because yep. it's like, you know that Steve Carell's not an idiot. But it's nice to see him. Although most of his takes, totally deadpanned. Oh, his yeah. face almost never changes. Um, so that that helped me a little bit. But mm. it was just like, well, I guess we're wrapping up. We're yeah. wrapping up. The Roundup. So, Max, you're tickled to death. I think it's funny. I know it's not a good movie. I know there's a lot wrong with it. But it still makes me laugh, and it's still got some great lines. And I think some of the performances are really funny. And let's face it, Will Ferrell is not a worldwide star for nothing. No, there's a reason he's successful. Again, I don't always think his taste in movies is that good. Honestly, Anchorman is probably one of the only ones where he, he is the star that I liked. I've seen a bunch of the others. I've seen Talladega Nights, which was a really funny idea that I don't think quite worked. But anyway, yeah. Did you see Elf? I did not. I am told that's actually really good. Well, I know that they're trying to make it a Christmas classic. Like, no, 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 this is up there with all those other ones. But I again, I've never watched it. I, I am told, I mean, because it's got, you know, Bob Newhart is in it and Peter Dinklage. Oh, really? It looks like fun. I've just never been able to get myself... <laughs> To watch That's it. an unlikely comedy duo. I don't think and they're now, actually in the same scene. But, uh, <laughs> appearing at the at the Copa, we have Bob Newhart and Peter Dinklage. I would as... totally pay money to see that. <laughs> I would pay money to see the two of them together. I think it would be amazing. Especially if it was like a Martin and Lewis tribute band. <laughs> 
a Martin Lewis tribute band because those are a thing. Hey, so Bob and Peter, if you're looking for an idea, to seriously, go on tour. guys, get, have your agents get together. Yeah. Um, for my part, I I just didn't get it. Yeah. I sat there and it's like I know I, I thought I should think it was funny, but I just didn't. Um, it's got you know again another cameo I left out Jack Black. Jack Black, you know, doesn't really say do whatever very he, much, but yeah, no, but he brings all it. his energy. Yep, he's fine. He's fine as the guy who gets hit with the burrito and kicks the dog. Um, the dog's fine. The bears are fine. <laughs> you like um, really like those I, I would, bears, don't you? Well, I thought the little talk where they're saying, yeah. you know, we bears are an honorable race was, was funny. That I thought yep. was funny. Um, there's dialogue between a dog and two bears, so whatever. Yep. Um, I will say that I would give this film another chance if... I was seeing it with other people. Yeah. For me, maybe seeing it alone, it's not one of those films I can still... Because I can enjoy a comedy alone. But this one, just... I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. Maybe it's the... It's it's too well... Too good at portraying the the hyper-masculinity that it's doing. And it's... I don't... I don't believe the woman character like I want to. Um, but, you know, hey, there's, there's plenty of films that I like that Max doesn't, and that's fine. And there's plenty of films yep. that Max likes and other people don't like and mm-hmm. en- enjoy your films. But now mm-hmm. I think yeah. we can finally really say that this is the end of now, the guilty have you che- Have you checked with your number blocks? Are you sure this is the eighth one? No. Yes. This is the end of the guilty pleasure. Uh, next week we will come up with a whole new, we are coming up with a whole new series. You want to tell them what it is? Well, we haven't fully officially named it. I'm thinking of either then and now or mm-hmm. what this again. Um, we are going to be looking at films that have been remade. Mm-hmm. In some um, cases, some, more than once. Some cases, more than twice. Yeah. Um, we, for you, our dear listeners, we will actually brave multiple copies of some of these things. Yep. But um, the idea is going to be, hey, this film was made once. Why not make it again? Is it worth doing again? Which version's better? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime... To keep up with us, you, of course, go to our website, which is www.maxmikemovies.com. You can, of course, email us a movie or not movie. Actually, yeah, sure. Movie suggestions, yeah, show suggestions. Not? Last week's episode, uh, which was um, no, no, it won't be that last week's episode. A previous episode called The Trailer Trash Show was suggested by a viewer. And you could email us your suggestions for shows at us at maxmikemovies.com. We have that Facebook thing that all the kids seem to think is no longer cool and hip. Yeah. Uh, but we have one. Uh, it is, of course, Max Mike Movies. And if you just like to download those podcasts and listen to them on the mobile device, device of your choice, you can find us on the Apple iTunes app, podcast app or the Google podcast app. Uh, we're also on the Twitter at plortmaxmikemovies.com. Don't spell plort. It won't work. Yep. And if you don't know what plort means, then you're not one of the cool kids. <laughs> so yes next week then and now or what this again until then yep. I'm sorry and you should be and you stay classy internet thanks for dropping by <laughs> but mostly stay classy thanks for dropping by oh, wait 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 Mike breaking in here next week we start a new series called then and now or what this again where we take on a movie and it's remake or remakes for next week's show your homework is to watch First, Thomas Crown Affair 1960s version, and then Thomas Crown the 1990s version. Uh, Johnny, strike up the band.
Max Mike Movies is a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.